Hello everyone and welcome to A Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for tuning in to today's episode. This is our Thursday episode, which means, if you're new, welcome. Um, that means we are going over the history of a state. I'm trying to get more familiar with the US, US history, US geography, all of that good stuff. And so um, we are going through and doing the state histories of each state as they join the union. We're gonna go over the geography, climate, population, all of that. And we're just learning more about the country we live in. So um, we are doing Mississippi today, which is the 20th state to join. So we are working our way through these and Mississippi has a very interesting history. I feel like I say that about every state, but I'm just fascinated by all these states' state histories and how they came to be. So I hope you enjoyed the episode and welcome to Mississippi. So before we get into the actual history of the state, we're going to go over the basic facts, geography, climate, all that, so we know kind of what it looks like and what the state is like modern day. So Mississippi borders Louisiana, Arkansas, Tennessee, and Alabama. So Alabama is to the east, Tennessee is to the north, Arkansas is like to the northwest, and then Louisiana is to the Southwest. That was way too hard to think of those directions. But um, yeah, so Mississippi also on the south. Uh, I mean, it's north of the Gulf of Mexico, but its southern border touches the Gulf of Mexico. So that is the, you know, where it's placed in the country. So very much a southern state. The capital is Jackson, Mississippi, and it became a state on December 10th. 1817, again, making it the 20th state to join the Union. So let's talk about why it was named Mississippi. I always like hearing the, you know, origin story of the name. And when I first Googled this, it was entirely unhelpful. The, like most sites said, oh, it's named Mississippi after the Mississippi River. So that's not that helpful because I want to know where Mississippi came from. <laughs> so I googled why the river was called Mississippi and basically that was the name given it to given to it by the Indians and it was used on Robert Cav Cavalier or Cavalier Cavalier Sur de La Salle uh, that explorer who we've heard about multiple times now in many different states he was everywhere but he made a map of the area in 1695 and um, miss, the word Mississippi means large river to the Chippewa Indians. And so that's the word that he used on his map when he um, explored. So that's kind of how it got cemented to be called the Mississippi River and then the state of Mississippi. The state motto is Virtue et Armée, which I'm assuming is French because of the ET meaning and. It means by valor and arms. The state nickname is the Magnolia State, which we will get into during the state symbols portion of the podcast. The population is just shy of 3 million people, which makes it 32nd in population density. So it's not all that dense, uh, which is kind of nice. Okay, geography. Let's talk about that a little bit. So it's very low. The highest elevation in Mississippi is only about 800 feet above sea level. So it says that there are some hills in the northeast corner, but it's really close to the Gulf of Mexico. And so because of that, it has low topography. You know, there's some hills, plains, prairies, river lowlands, and pine woods, but it's generally not very elevated. So um, the basically all almost all of Mississippi lies within this segment which is called the coastal plain physiographic region so very close to the coast okay let's talk a little bit about the climate so Mississippi is pretty rainy it gets about 57 inches of rain 
per year on average, while the US average is 38 inches, it only averages one inch of snow per year. Which So again, if you don't mind hot climates and low snow, then these southern states are really looking like the place that you want to be. There are 216 sunny days per year in Mississippi. The average across the nation is 205. Summer high is 91, winter low is 33, so it really doesn't get that cold, which is kind of nice. And the comfort index averages 7.1. Again, I feel like the comfort index, if you've listened to my other episodes, it just really means nothing because they all average out to seven, almost. Um, but what I'm looking at is a breakdown of the comfort indices <laughs> throughout each month of the year. And I can tell you that July in Mississippi is about the lowest comfort index I've probably seen. I was talking, I think, in uh, Indiana last week or Monday or whatever, um, about how the comfort index in the summer was low because it got really hot and humid. And I said, oh, it's really low. It's like around five. Well, what I'm seeing for Mississippi's is like even lower. It's probably at four, four or less. So, oh, here I can get the exact number, I think, actually. No, somehow that's not working. But it's like under five, well under five in July and August. So you do not really want to be going in July and August because it just gets very, very hot. And I believe, let me check the humidity because whenever I imagine Mississippi, I always just think of the most humid place. And yeah, it's pretty close to one of the higher humidities I've seen, which the average humidity in the summer, in those same months, like July, probably averages about 73% humidity. And that is an average. So you can just imagine that sometimes it's probably like 90% humidity, you know, it's just not the average. So very, very hot summers, but very comfortable winters. So that is at least a plus. Okay, let's get into the timeline of Mississippi because there's a lot to get into here. So this timeline, obviously they got the name Mississippi from the group of Indians living in this area, Chippewa Indians. So we are going to do a podcast about who was living where at what time. But this timeline starts in 1541 or 1540 to 1541. This is on a website called sutori.com and it's actually a really good timeline. I struggle to find some that have enough detail for what I want because I found one timeline that only had like 10 events on it, which is simply not enough. And then one that had literally every single event, minor event that happened, and it was like 25 pages long, too much. So this is, I think, a good balance. Okay, 1540 to 1541, Hernando de Soto, a Spanish explorer who we have heard about many times in this series. He becomes the first European to enter Mississippi, wintering with the Chickasaws. Uh, he wintered with the Chickasaws and discovers the Mississippi River in that spring. All right, then it jumps ahead pretty far to 1673, says Father Jacques Marquette, a French missionary and fur trapper, along with Louis Julier, begin exploration of the Mississippi River on May 17th. They reach the Mississippi in July and explore as far south as the mouth of the Arkansas River near the present location of Rosedale before turning back. In 18, or 1682, Robert Cavalier de La Salle navigates the Mississippi River to its mouth and claims for France all the lands that are drained by the river. This seems like a very, very exciting time to be alive because like one of the career options was just to be an explorer and you could just claim the land for your country. Like there was all this new land. I feel like now we just know all the land and this is not a job anymore. It's kind of interesting. And this guy went everywhere. Like, if you haven't listened to my other episodes, I talked about him in Louisiana and now Indiana, and I thought for a second I did the wrong state on the wrong week because I kept seeing this guy's name. And I was like, wait, did I pull the timeline for the wrong state or something? How do I keep seeing him? He went all the way up to the Great Lakes and then came all the way down to basically the Gulf of Mexico. Like, he really went all over. So... 
he was quite a guy. Um, okay, 1699, there were many names here, <laughs> but they all sailed over and landed in what is now Ocean Springs. They, bu they built Fort Maurepas and established the first capital of the French colony in North America. I will spare you all of the name pronunciations that are not correct, but one of them was Jean-Baptiste. Okay, 1716, Fort Rosalie, the beginning of the town of Natchez, is established. So, the first fort, well, the second fort, I guess, because Fort Maurepas was established, and then Fort Rosalie. In 1718, French officials established rules to allow slave imports into the area, and then in 1719, which was just a year later, the first slave shipments arrived. So, this says that the, most of the early slaves were Caribbean Creoles. In 1724, the Black Code is enacted and slavery is defined on the Mississippi Territory. So again, big slave trade happening. And then there was a massacre at Fort Rosalie. And in 1732, the French retaliate for the massacre at Fort Rosalie. They also, in this... Um, in this timeline include a lot of good art. So like I'm seeing a picture here of the fort and then the French and the Indians fighting. And so I'll post this on Instagram because obviously this is not visual, but um, I like how they kind of throw in that art. So I will share. Okay, the Natchez Indians cease to exist as a tribe. It doesn't give a year for this, but I'm assuming it may be because of this retaliation at Fort Rosalie. Um, but I'm not exactly sure because they didn't put a year. So anytime between 1732 and 1763, they are no longer a tribe. They're wiped out, essentially. In 1763, Mississippi, along with all other French territories east of the Mississippi River, passes into English control at the end of the French and Indian War. So, this is um, kind of where I've missed the bow on the French and Indian War implications, is that I, I didn't exactly realize before I started studying all this that the French used to own this entire area and then the French and Indian War is what actually passed the control to the English. So that was like, uh, if I can do math, 13 years before the revolution started is when English actually gained control of this area. Okay, from 1763 to 1779, this is like this whole section is called English Dominion. It says British administer Natchez and Biloxi as the province of West Florida. Oh, British, the British administer Natchez and Biloxi, which are two cities, um, as the province of West Florida. British slave traders bring large numbers of Jamaican-born African Caribbeans to the region. And then from 1779 to 1798, so this reaches like past the revolution, it says it was Spanish dominion. So the Natchez region is governed by the Spanish who encouraged the slave trade by offering land grant bonuses to settlers who transport slaves. So even after the revolution, this area was not quote American, it was governed by the Spanish, which is another thing I didn't know. I'm learning a lot in these states. I feel like I was pretty well versed on the Revolutionary War and the things that happened with the colonies, but I feel like we all miss the what was happening with the other territories during this time. Maybe we don't all. I shouldn't assume that. I missed it. <laughs> okay, from 1781 to 1783, this says, under the provisions of the Treaty of Paris, West Florida, which included the southern half of Mississippi, comes under Spanish control. America gains possession of Mississippi North of the 32nd degree, 28 minute parallel. So when we think of Mississippi, it was like this big territory. America took some, Spanish took some, but the slave trade and stuff was all governed by the Spanish. So just a clarifying thing. 1795 to 1810, cotton replaces tobacco as the main cash crop and the demand for slave field workers grows substantially. 
1795, the Pinckney Treaty with Spain transfers the territory along the east bank of the Mississippi River to the U.S., and then in 1798, the Spanish withdrawal from Mississippi is completed. So, from 1798 to 1817, Mississippi is a territory of America, which, again, like with most of these timelines, basically the land goes from being unclaimed to being claimed by a country to then being a territory of America to then being a state. So it was a territory for about 19 years before it became a state. All right. This says Mississippi is organized as an American territory and the first territorial governor, Winthrop Sargent, is appointed by President Thomas Jefferson. Okay, United States begins to administer the Natchez region. Attempts to limit the slave trade are thwarted, are thwarted by white settlers. So, I feel like there's this narrative that everyone was just like for slavery for a really long time in America. And then it took until the Civil War to like have it reach a boiling point. Which I guess part of that is true because a lot of the southern people were for slavery but it was really like major plantation owners and a lot of people who were not rich plantation owners did not want slavery even in the south and then many many people in the north like a lot of states were already starting to make these moves against slavery and people were arguing that it was unethical and stuff so there was already like an abolition abolitionist settlement or abolitionist sentiment that was alive and active at the founding of the country. It just didn't get to the point of abolishing it in the entire country until the Civil War. In 1801 to 1802, a treaty with the Indians allows the Natchez Trace to be developed as a mail route and a major road. Mississippi moves its territorial capital from Natchez to Washington, a small, na a small town near the Trace. The Louisiana Purchase is purchased in 1803 which was huge for the u.s and the land um it opens the mississippi river for commerce which was big and then by 18 or 1805 by the treaty of mount dexter the choctaws sell 4.5 million acres of land to the u.s government the area includes the piney woods region of the state in 1805, Zebulon Pike explores the upper Mississippi, setting up posts in what will be Minnesota. So, again, these explorers went everywhere because I am from Colorado, and Zebulon Pike is who, like, our, you know, Pike's Peak is named after. So he came, he at one point was at the Mississippi, and he came all the way to Colorado with, like, no car, you know? He had to, he had to, like, trek from Mississippi at one point to Colorado, and he explored that whole area oh i misread that <laughs> he explored upper mississippi setting up posts in what will be minnesota so that's actually pretty north but still he covered a lot of land and uh these explorers really really got around in 1810 west florida rebellion gives the united states control of the spanish west florida Uh, then the War of 1812 begins. Mississippi gains West Florida territory east of the Pearl River and south to the Gulf of Mexico. So the whole War of 1812 happens. 1816, the Treaty of Fort Stevens with the Choctaws opens for settlement the area around the Tombigbee Prairie. And then the year after that, Mississippi becomes a state. So... Again, it was an act of Congress on December 10th of that year that admitted Mississippi as the 20th state to join the Union. And then Indian lands in Mississippi were opened to white settlement after six major treaties with the Choctaws and Chickasaws between 1805 and 1834. And at this point, the Mississippi Territory was divided. So the western half only becomes the 20th state of Mississippi, but there was an eastern half. Um, that was originally part of what would have what was known as the Mississippi Territory. Okay, in 1818, the Elizabeth Female Academy is founded in Washington, Mississippi. 
which was the first girls' school chartered by the state and one of America's first women's colleges. The next year, Fort Snelling established. Uh, Fort Snelling was established at the confluence of the Mississippi and Minnesota rivers, which was a future site of the Twin Cities. In 1820, the Treaty of Dokestan was the second Choctaw session of land. So again, there's like a series of these treaties that where the Indians ceded land to America. The first public school was opened in Columbus in 1821. And then in 1822, the capital was moved to Jackson, where again, it is still in Jackson today. It was named after Major General Andrew Jackson. So that's a fun fact. Jackson, Mississippi was named after Andrew Jackson. Mississippi College was established in 1826. It was first known as the Hampstead Academy. Um, then the name eventually changed and that is present day Mississippi College. Okay, the Mississippi Constitutional Convention produces the Constitution of 1832 for Mississippi. And this is where the Mississippi timeline like ends on this timeline. So at this point, I switched over to the e-reference timeline, even though sometimes they don't have the best events of the 21st century. So uh, let's hop over to that timeline and keep going. Okay, um, so in 1837, it says the first major commercial logging of white pine forests begins. Uh, then there is, in 1838, something called the Pig's Eye Settlement that was founded um, upstream of Fort Snelling, so another settlement. The University of Mississippi is established in 1844, and then the state government assumes operation of a private school for the blind. It becomes the Mississippi School for the Blind, and that was in 1848. So that was the first state-supported institution for the handicapped. Okay, the U.S. Congress in 1850 gives the state title to more than 3 million acres of swamp and overflow land. By this time, 310 miles of levees have been built along the banks of the Mississippi River. The delta is drained, cleared, and becomes available for cultivation. Also in 1850, there was something called the Compromise of 1850, which basically contained slavery only to the south. All right, 15, er, 1854, there was another handicapped school opened called the Mississippi Institute for the Deaf and Dumb that opened in Jackson, Mississippi. Again, that was 1854. And then in the same year, uh, Henry Hughes of Port Gibson publishes the Treatise on Sociology, which later earns him the title of the first American sociologist. So if you have studied sociology, it is well, I guess sociology in America, part of that, or the first one, um, was Henry Hughes. In 1861, Mississippi became the second state to secede from the Union, and then 80,000 Mississippians served in the Confederate States Army. Uh, there were multiple battles in um, the Civil War throughout Mississippi, so in July, Ship Island is captured by the Union forces uh, in 1862. There was the Battle of Shiloh, and then in May, Corinth fell to the Union. 1863, we've been over um, a decent amount of times, but 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation went into effect with that abolished slavery, and then 1865, Robert E. Lee surrendered, and that you know, ended the Civil War. Okay, 1867, a military government is established in Mississippi after the reconstructed government of Mississippi is rejected by the U.S. Congress. So, yeah, basically the reconstruction period is its own whole period of history, but when states were not cooperating and did not want to make it easy to come back into the Union, the North set up a military government that went into the southern states and ran things for a while until they were kind of ready to be admitted back into the Union. 
The first biracial constitutional convention happened in 1868. It was called the Black and Tan Convention, and uh, they drafted a constitution protecting the rights of the freedmen um, who were ex-slaves and then punished the ex-Confederates. But it was rejected by the voters. Okay, then it ended up, the next year, Mississippi ended up uh, ratifying a constitution that did not punish the ex-Confederate soldiers. So Mississippi, like that Black and Tan Convention, it went really strict on not just, I feel like in a lot of other states that we've researched, the new um, constitution of the state or whenever they got readmitted into the union would punish only ex-Confederate leaders, but not every soldier. A lot of that was because, from my understanding, a lot of people were kind of forced to go into the military or forced to serve, even though they weren't really wanting to, like, they didn't want to go and fight and defend just, like, rich people's interests when they had no interest in keeping slaves or having slaves or anything like that. And so I think a lot of states were like, it's not really fair to punish the ex-soldiers because a lot of them were kind of forced into serving some of them just punished the ex-confederate leaders but the one that they ended up ratifying it just says did not punish ex-confederate soldiers so 1870 mississippi is readmitted into the union a civil government is restored under governor alcorn the first system of public education is established uh, there is the first black senator in U.S. history, Senator Hiram R. Revels, who was a minister from Natchez. He served as Mississippi's U.S. senator from 1870 to 1871. So a lot is happening this year. Um, and then also milling is expanded as a major industry. In 1871, Alcorn University, which is now Alcorn State University, is organized. That, of course, is named after the governor that I just mentioned. Uh, yeah, Governor Alcorn in 1870. All right, 1877, the Mississippi State Board of Health is created through the influence of the State Medical Association. And then Jackson College, which was a private college for blacks, is established in Natchez. I hope I'm saying Natchez right, but yes, so Jackson College um, is established in 1877. In 1878, the Agricultural and Technical School is established. Uh, that eventually became Mississippi State College and then Mississippi State University. So it's gone through <laughs> multiple rebrandings. The Industrial Institute and College, which is now Mississippi's University for Women, it was established in 1884, and then a new state constitution was adopted in 1890. All right, we have made it to the 1900s. So a new Capitol building was constructed for a million dollars, and it was dedicated in Jackson in 1903. Okay, the... In 1907, the boll weevil, which is a bug, arrives in Mississippi and destroyed most of the state's cotton crop. So it was like a devastating year in 1907 because of the, the crop. And then William H. Smith organizes the first of the state's calm clubs, which leads to the formation of the 4-H Clubs of America. So if you hear about 4-H, that originated in Mississippi in 1907. So a very old organization. It's been going for a really long time. I've always loved everything about 4-H. I haven't been, like I wasn't involved as a kid, but my cousin was. And the things that I feel like they have them do are very valuable. And most of like the rodeos and things we go to, it's always, there's always an association with 4-H kids and they're raising livestock and they're learning how to take care of animals and stuff like that. And I feel like it's just a great organization. So maybe I'll do an episode all about 4-H. Uh, 1908, Mississippi adopts statewide prohibition, which is, oh, a prohibition. Oh my gosh. I got prohibition for a second mixed up with abolition. And I was like, that was already illegal since the civil war. No, statewide prohibition happened in 1908. 
1909, uh, the Piney Woods Country Life School for the Vocational and Secondary Education of Black Students was created by Dr. Lawrence C. Jones. The University of Southern Mississippi is organized uh, in 1910, which used to be called the Mississippi Normal College, but now it's University of Southern Mississippi. In 1916, I just lost my place in the notes. Okay, 1916, the Mississippi State Sanatorium for Tuberculosis was established. And then um, in 1922, the state legislature authorizes a system of junior colleges, which is the first system like this in the nation. 1923, two women are elected to the state legislature from Mississippi, Senator Bell Kearney and Representative Nellie Nugent Somerville. Okay, thousands of people were left homeless in 1927 when the Mississippi River flooded and 2.7 million acres flooded in the delta of the Mississippi River and there were homes there. So very sad i always feel like this we're getting to the point in the timeline where it would be the worst time to live through because it's like the great depression and then the war and all of that i just feel like that was quite the time to live through but on top of that two years before the, before the great depression a bunch of people were homeless when this flooded okay 1932 the state's first sales tax becomes effective and then the Natchez Pilgrimage, a nationally famous tour of the area's antebellum homes, becomes an annual event also in 1932. Okay, 1936, the state legislature passes an amendment to balance agriculture with industry. It's called the BAWI program, B-A-W-I. The Industrial Commission and the Advertising Commission are created to implement the program, which includes adoption of the nation's first industrial re revenue bond. 1939, the state's first oil well is brought in um, and started to be used. Um, let me see. There's some of these that aren't that important. Um, World War II happens between 1941 and 1945 which promotes an industrial boom in the state. Uh, the A lot of these are like when colleges were fund, founded. I'm not exactly sure that I care about all of them. Like one of them is Mississippi Valley State University. If you're interested, that was formed in or founded in 1946, but it just seems like such a small thing that sometimes this is why I don't love these timelines because uh, they just don't I don't know they just say too much honestly okay 1954 Brown v Board of Education happens and the Supreme Court rules uh, that there needs to be desegregation and so in 1962 James Meredith the first black registrant enters the University of Mississippi it says the beginning of the beginning of the end to segregation in public universities and colleges. The crazy part of that is 1954 was Brown v. Board of Education, which basically said you need to integrate schools. And it wasn't until eight years later that a black student was uh, enrolled in the University of Mississippi. It takes a while. Things take too long sometimes. Uh, 1963, Meg... Medgar Evers or Medgar Evers who was the NAACP field secretary was assassinated and then in 1964 Congress passes the Civil Rights Act and three civil rights workers were murdered near Philadelphia Mississippi um, 1965 was the end really of that Bowie program because the governor Paul B. Johnson Jr. announced that the program had achieved its goal 1968, the circuit court judge O.H. Barnett uh, rules that Choctaw Indians are subject to their tribal laws, which was a reversal of an 1830s ruling that abolished tribal government. So kind of a reversal there. And then Robert Clark begins serving his first term in the Mississippi House as its first modern-day black member. 
Alright. Hurricane Camille uh, wreaks havoc upon the Mississippi Gulf Coast in 1969. And then there's some that are literally just not important here. So let me just see. Uh, Governor William Waller's administration aggressively involves blacks and women in government through key cabinet, board, and judicial appointments in 1972. There's a waterway that is uh, starting to be built also in 1972 called the Tennessee Tombigbee Waterway. Um, Governor Finch in 1976 succeeds in reuniting the long-separated loyalist and regular factions of the Mississippi Democratic Party. I've honestly never heard of those factions, so I probably need to <laughs> like research them more. Uh, do a podcast. I want to do a whole podcast about how like the Republican and Democrat parties have changed over time, the different factions, the different trends almost, like the Tea Party movement was big for a while there. Um, so I want to do a whole episode about that. 1979, Maddie T. Consent Decree uh, initiates procedures providing equal education for handicapped children in the state's public schools. And then again, there's floods that devastate the city of Jackson. That was also in 1979. Uh, the Education Reform Act was passed in 1982 by Governor William F. Winter. It pioneered nationwide school reform. The, uh, let's see, Judge Lenore Prather becomes Mississippi's first woman Supreme Court Justice in 1983. Public radio starts in 1984. Uh, the first black Supreme Court Justice was Justice Reuben Anderson. He was um, appointed in 1985. Let's see. Um, May Mabus. If you're listening and are from Mississippi, you may know him. Ray Mabus, I think is how you pronounce it. He was elected governor. He was the nation's youngest governor at 39. That was in 1987. A lot of these are like reorganization of government, which is just not, I think, worth mentioning for some of them. Um, Operation Desert Storm, there were a lot of Mississippi National Guard men and women who played important roles in that in 1990. Uh, Mississippi became the nation's 21st state to allow its citizens to register to vote by mail in 1991. And then Kirk Fortas becomes Mississippi's first Republican governor since Reconstruction. So that only happened in the 90s. There was a tornado. This is basically usually when it all is like disasters that they put on the timeline only um 2004 voters banned same-sex marriage that was overturned by a supreme court case in i believe 2008 hurricane katrina happened in 2005 uh 2000 Six, the Bureau of Economic Analysis estimated the lowest per capita personal income of any state was Mississippi, and it also had the nation's lowest living costs. This is an interesting one. They put on this timeline that sex offenders' names and faces were placed on roadside billboards in 2006. First of all, I'm not exactly sure why they really did that. Like, what's, I guess, the point um, I guess to be aware, but will I really remember someone's name and face like from a billboard on the side of the road? And second of all, why put that on this timeline? That's a little weird. Uh, but anyway, so that is the timeline of Mississippi. And again, I'm sure good things have happened in the 21st century in Mississippi, but these timelines never like to make it seem like that. So apologies to Mississippi. All right, we've got come to the section where we go over the weird laws that I found for the state of Mississippi. I'm just going to rattle them off because they're all kind of weird. Well, actually, they all have a, a very similar thread of very strict religious laws that are no longer enforced, which is good. Um, one, one, claiming that you'll marry a woman just to seduce her is a crime. 
Number two, according to one town's laws, any groom-to-be must prove himself manly before marriage by hunting and killing either six blackbirds or three cows. I d where did that one come from? Um, three, if you're a parent to one illegitimate child, no problem. If you have two illegitimate children, you could face up to a month in jail. Four, polygamy, you know, it's illegal. That's not the weird part. If you explain it to someone, that's illegal. If you teach someone about polygamy, you could get a fine. Um, okay, walking a dog without dressing it in diapers is illegal in temperance, Mississippi. Sleeping with someone who isn't your spouse is illegal and carries a fine of $500 or six months in prison. It is illegal to live with your significant other if you are not married and using profane language carries a fine of up to $100. Now, it's interesting because you can tell these are all very like Christianity. I feel like, I feel like they're all, you know, Christianity based and very strict. And it's funny because I feel like now a lot of Christians, myself included, have moved more in our political ideological mindset of like, listen, I don't care what you all do, but I think this is wrong. The exception is abortion because that is literally murdering another human being. But things like, oh, these video games should be banned. These books shouldn't be allowed. You can't use profane language. You're, it's illegal to live with, you know, your girlfriend or boyfriend if you're not married like that kind of stuff. I'm like all for moving this out of the government. So I agree that these laws should not be enforced. Um, okay, famous, I don't think anyone agrees that they should be enforced, but I feel like there is a time that a lot of conservatives and, and Christians would be like, yeah, these make sense. And now I think the going thought is like, listen, I don't care, but I do think it's wrong. Okay. State symbols. Let's go over some state symbols. Um, okay, so the flag is the first one. It was adopted on January 11th, 2021, which is, is that right? 2021. The flag consists of vertical stripes of red, gold, and blue with a central white magnolia blossom encircled by 20 white stars one gold star and the words in god we trust it replaces the previous flag that was retired on june 30th 2020. so let me look up the previous one because that is way too recent to not know of and acknowledge what it was okay i can see why it was retired basically the previous flag was a red stripe a white stripe and a blue stripe and then in the top left corner was a confederate flag essentially um, so I get the whole move away from the Confederate flag. Now, here's the thing, and I feel like I've talked about this before. Many people from the South will say that the Confederate flag is not a racist symbol. It simply signifies that they're from the South and it's like Southern culture type thing because that's like the flag that represents the South. It doesn't have any necessarily racist meaning anymore. Like no one is flying to... I wouldn't say no one is wanting to be racist, but many people from the South are saying, I'm not sure, I'm not being racist. It's just a symbol of the South. Now, here's my qualm with it. I can't really speak to that because I'm not Southern. I don't really get the whole thing with that. So we're tabling that discussion about it being about race. And even if it's literally not about race at all, I feel like the most impactful argument I've heard about this because I was not sure which side I fell on like you know if you have a, a symbol that is just if you're not meaning to be racist or anything and you just have this symbol that other people are just misconstruing then you know whatever you're you're free to do what you want doesn't necessarily have to be bad but the most compelling argument I've heard that really solidified my viewpoint is that the confederate flag is a symbol of the Confederate States of America who were traitors to the Union. We are all now reunited. You should be flying under the U.S. flag. Why are you flying a traitor flag? You know, even if it's a symbol of the South, your symbol of the South should not be the symbol of the traitors, you know? 
So for that, like, I don't know. I get why they retired it. And now it's like this big thing that kind of highlights the magnolia. Okay, for the other state symbols, the state bird is a mockingbird. Passed unanimously in the House and the Senate of Mississippi uh, in on February 23rd. It was submitted in 1944, so I'm assuming it was signed into law in 1945. The state flower slash tree is the magnolia. So it was between the magnolia, the cape jasmine, and the yellow jasmine, and Mississippi school children were allowed to vote for the state flower. This was in the year 1900, and the magnolia received the most votes. It was not made official by the legislature, but in 1935, the director of forestry started a state tree movement, again, allowing school children to vote. The Magnolia again won by a landslide, and it was officially adopted on April 1st, 1938. Um, Then the state flower is also the Magnolia, like the flower that goes on the Magnolia tree. That was adopted in 1952, and... It says, native to Asia, the magnolia was named for the great French botanist Pierre Magnol, who died in 1715. The state land mammal is the white-tailed deer. No huge surprise there. That was um, made official in 1974. The state water water mammal is the bottlenosed dolphin, and that was approved April 12, 1974. Also, same year as the white-tailed deer. Let's see. Doesn't give too much more information. It just tells a lot about dolphins. Um, the state waterfowl is the wood duck. It was adopted in, again, 1974. I think they did, like, a run on all their state symbols because, like, all these are 1974. Um, but that's the wood duck. The state fish is the largemouth or black bass. Again, 1974. State in state insect is the honeybee, and this was adopted in 1980. They chose the honeybee over the boll weevil and fire ant. I don't know why the boll weevil would ever be one of the options because it like destroyed all the crops. So that seems like a bad ch- choice. And the fire ants bite everyone. So of course the honeybee will win. They're cute, they're social, and they help you know, pollinate all the flowers. Uh, so yeah, hands down, that was the best choice that they had, like for sure. Uh, the state song is called Go Mississippi. Um, the state shell is the oyster shell in 1974. And then they have like the state fossil, which is a prehistoric whale. And then they have state stone, which is petrified wood. So those are the state symbols. And then the last thing I want to talk about really quickly is things to do in Mississippi. What attractions, what should you go do if you find yourself in the state? First of all, number one on this list, which is on planetware.com, it always gives like good tourist attractions. They put a list out and the number one is the Gulf Islands National Seashore, which looks very nice. It looks picturesque. It looks like Dear John, you know. There's the Davis Bayou that's located um, on the mainland at Ocean Springs, um, which is all kind of part of this shoreline. You can also go to the Tulipo Automobile Museum, which was declared the official auto, muse- auto museum of the state in 2003. So you can see a lot of cool cars there. You can also visit the USS Cairo Museum at Vicksburg National Military Park. The USS Cairo um, was sunk the same year it was commissioned. And it is now on, on display. It sat under the mud for nearly 100 years until a cannon and the pilot house were recovered. And soon a full salvage effort was underway. So it was a ship that sank. The B.B. King Museum and Delta Interpretive Center um, are both things you should also see in Mississippi. Because B.B. King is from Mississippi. Oh, I forgot to do the famous people. So we'll run through that really quick before. Since Mississippi is backed up to the water, the Institute for Marine Mammal Studies is also something you can go see. There's like a French estate. There's a Museum of Natural Science. 
like very cool things very cool history um in mississippi elvis presley birthplace and museum is also there so yeah go check out oh there's also a lot of like nature things you can drive the natchez trace parkway which is like a road that goes through the native like where it follows the route once used by the native americans for 444 miles um it's a scenic route for sightseeing with plenty of things to do there's prehistoric mounds architectural sites scenic lookouts and historic points of interest okay so lots of things to do to do in mississippi good mix i feel like of museums and nature i always like that okay and we'll wrap it up with Famous people from Mississippi, just rattle off this list. There's a good amount of ones that I knew. Elvis Presley, obviously. B.B. Uh, King, who we've mentioned. Britney Spears, Oprah, James Earl Jones, Brett Favre, and Fred Armisen are all from Mississippi. So that is all I have for you today. Again, all the links will be in the show notes, so make sure to go and check them out for more information. Thank you all for listening to this podcast. And I will be back on Monday with another episode where we did a state episode last Monday to, you know, catch up a little bit on our states. But this week we're going, you know, back to our normal programming. And I think I'm going to do an episode on raw milk. I keep seeing on my homesteading page all these people asking, like, where to find raw milk, why it's so expensive, why it's outlawed. Um, I'm making butter and I needed like pasteurized, you know, I saw that my whole or my heavy cream was ultra pasteurized and they're saying that that, you know, raw milk is not pasteurized and it can cause all these diseases and stuff. So I want to get the lowdown on raw milk because so many people I follow drink it, buy it or milk their own cows. And I'm just, I'm curious. So that's what we're talking about on Monday, and I will see you then. Thanks for listening to the episode. Make sure you rate and review if you have not already. I really appreciate it, and I will see you all Monday. Bye, everyone.